0: Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern.
1: And welcome back to the Masters of Modern podcast. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. Alex Kessler is out of the country again, and we have an awesome guest host today. We are joined, actually in person, in studio. By Mister Corey Burkhardt. what's up, man? What's up, everybody? How it goes? It's good to see you, Ben. Oh yeah, good to see you, dude. This is uh, this is exciting. We have a lot of things to talk about. Um, this is kind of crazy right now because we're we're talking on the heels of a major major emergency ban announcement, and uh, unfortunately Kessler and I are trying to <laughs> unify our opinions on that. So um, just as a quick heads up, we will be talking about the ban announcements today, but we are also going to be talking about the uh, the introduction of the new uh, Rai Feladar Guardian combo in Modern, um, which is a potential three into four I win combo. Uh, people are calling it Splinter Twin 2.0. So that's a thing that's on the menu today, uh, guys. If you want to follow along with the conversation, we are on Twitter. You can follow us at the MM Cast. I'm personally at Ben Bateman Media Core. You have a Twitter you uh, Ooh, upkeep? At Corey underscore Burkhart. At Corey underscore Burkhart. That's B-U-R-K-H-A-R-T, right? You got it. Cool. So uh, other than that, guys, please uh, you know, find us on Facebook. We have uh, The episodes are now available on collected.company. That's not collected.company.com. It's actually just collected.company, which we were proud of. We thought that was pretty cool. And uh, we have YouTube videos that go up every week with card images, Mike Clary, who we pay from our Patreon because you guys are amazing by donating to the Patreon. So thank you so much. And, um, and that's how we do that. So Thank you, everybody. We are going to get into the episode right now. We're going to be talking about uh, Bannings and Combo in Modern. This this episode is the state of Combo in Modern. So, Corey, are you traditionally a Combo player in Modern? We've covered you in Grixis, but have you played much Combo?
0: So, I haven't played too much Combo. I think the closest thing I ever played to a Combo deck would be Infect. There was a weekend I joined the enemy. I was I was one of the villains. Um, I've played Storm before at, like, PPTQs when I was grinding those. Um, but I think more often than not, I want to be the guy interacting with my opponent. I want to be playing a long, grindy game with tons of decisions, and, you know, let's let's have the cards fall where they may fall, rather than see if I can assemble whatever my cool combo may be.
1: Yeah, so there's kind of a difference between combo and velocity. We were talking about this before we started recording, but um, there are combo decks that are sort of like I win, and then there are decks that string together a lot of um, seemingly easy-to-assemble pieces that then ultimately result in... I will probably win by the end of this chain of events so velocity decks would be things like infect things like storm uh, elves whereas combo would be things like traditionally splinter twin Um, that would be the classic example of combo so a couple of things happened Um, we had two cards banned i guess emergency banned a week early out of modern, yeah, I mean it's barely emergency. And then we had three cards in standard banned. That was more of an actual emergency banning. So five cards banned all at once between two competitive formats, I think, is the most we've had since like.
0: It's certainly the most since I started playing Magic in 2009. I started with Zendikar, and I, the closest thing I can recall to this is when Stoneforge Mystic and Jace were banned in Standard. So I mean,
1: we're talking something almost
0: unprecedented at this point. I mean, this is kind of crazy. I mean, this is new territory for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think going back in the day, you have, like, the memory jar banning. You have, like, uh, I guess Ravager wasn't banned. Skullclamp was banned. You have you have these, like, couple moments, sort of hot-button moments in history, but five between two formats. Um, also, most notably, this is the first time we've actually had a card in Modern that was unbanned and then re-banned in Golgari Grave Troll because of the prominence of Dredge. Now, um as I said, guys, we're really just going to cover the bannings for a brief moment. I promise you next week, Kessler and I will do a real full breakdown of our opinions on this. But obviously, as we have one of the 2010 something like that best players in the world right now with us. <laughs> he's trying to downplay it off camera, um, uh, off mic. But uh, I think it's important to have that opinion while we can be lucky enough to have his. So first and foremost, let me ask you about Graveshroll. So give me a reaction when it was first unbanned, your experience playing against it or with it and your experience now. Just take me through those three.
0: So when Golgari Grave Troll was unbanned, we were going into what was the last Modern Pro Tour there in Atlanta um, almost a year ago at this point. And it's one of those cards when it gets unbanned, only bad things are going to occur. Like You're not asking for a fair deck to put this in and then try to use the graveyard as a resource. I mean, somebody that's going to put Golgari Grave Troll under their deck is really going to use it to abuse it. I mean, we're talking Blood Gas, amoeba, and then We had Prized Amalgam, and then we had Cathartic Reunion. I mean, there have been tools printed for the graveyard. That's what Shadows and Veranestrad was. We were going back to gothic horror. We were going to get a graveyard set. We were going to care about creatures dying. And, I mean, Golgari Grave Troll, at the end of the day, was a part of either the best, second best, or third best deck in modern again. And I'm not surprised to see it go. I don't know if I really wanted it to go, but I did want something in the Dredge vein to be looked at. I think it was something that we needed to be cognizant of as a community of Dredge is a little bit out of control because there were a lot of games where turn two, an Insolent Neonate or a Faithless Looting led to Dredge, Cathartic Reunion. I have 36 cards and I've got six creatures on the battlefield. That, that's not okay.
1: So now when uh, when developers will talk about the history of magic and the most unfair things that have ever been printed, the most the literal most unfair, unfun abilities ever, um, it tends to be Dredge and Storm at the top of the list. Um I would guess at this point delve is probably not too far behind it and i would think phyrexian mana is probably in the same conversation uh but that's the kind of thing we're talking about here now what i find so crazy about grave troll the unbanning obviously prized amalgam and cathartic reunion insulin that's that's what really made it a thing but um what i find so interesting is it's like admittedly the smartest minds in magic the people that literally are behind making the cards said one of the most powerful things we've ever printed is dredge And in the most powerful formats, Legacy and Vintage, I mean, specifically Legacy, this has been one of the best decks forever. So, at what point, like, do those few cards that are accessible only in Legacy and not in Modern just get outclassed by new printings? We saw it happen, and now, I think the only option was to ban it. I mean, did you think, did you know it was, did you see the banning coming?
0: I certainly didn't. I mean, I... I had conversations with some Wizard employees that would be there at, you know, modern Grand Prix, and they like to get the take of the players. And I was sitting there in the feature match area the entire time at Dallas. And there was one employee in particular that was there watching the format was a developer at Wizards and certainly, you know, took a bunch of notes throughout the weekend. And I don't think that They thought Dredge needed to go. I think it was on their radar of, okay, the the people believe this is a good deck, and it is not a healthy thing to be the best deck. If Dredge is the best deck, people aren't going to be happy. Magic is not going to be the most fun thing in the world. I think when they unbanned Golgari Grave Troll the first time, or I guess the most recent time, was, hey, we need to shake up the format. If Twin's going, maybe we should put another Boogeyman up there. Maybe people should be prepared for Dredge. Obviously, we had the Eldrazi printing, and Eldrazi ended up being the Boogeyman. Um, so I, I, certainly didn't see Golgari Grave Troll going. I thought it'd be something that, you know, six months down the line, we might see it going. I, I honestly thought that we would see something maybe in the artifact line going, maybe Mox Opal, uh, maybe in Simeon's spirit guide, but Golgari Grave Troll I thought was, you know, on the watch list.
1: Okay. So that's kind of where we stand right now with, uh. With Dredge and Modern, uh, Dredge is still viable. Uh, again, this is a conversation that will continue happening. There's a lot of Dredgers that are solid. Uh, Grave Troll represented a couple of different uh, positions, which is that it was the only Dredge 6, and on top of that had the inevitability of if you cast it late in the game, you just top-decked it. It was a really good card. Uh, everybody always knew that. So it's it's definitely interesting and unique to see that we don't have a Modern Pro Tour, yet without a Modern Pro Tour we can still have a card be unbanned and re-banned. Um, that is unique. So we're yet to have a card that was banned and then unbanned. Well, actually, was there a card that started out not on the ban list, got banned, and then was unbanned?
0: I believe Wild Nacatl falls into the van, right? It was not on the ban list, yeah. was banned for diversity reasons when Green Sun Zenith was the big thing. Green Sun Zenith went on the ban list. Nacatl sat there for almost a year and then was unbanned maybe 18, 21 ish months ago, if I have to recall correctly.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. So those would be the two examples. So now moving on to the second card, um, Getaxian Probe. Um, Getaxian Probe, I think, was on more people's radar as the card that was going to get banned. And weirdly enough, too, because this is one of those cards that I think in in the most uh, synergistic way where the card plays as a momentum card. It also had to pick up momentum in the format for such a long time before people really started to point the finger. It doesn't seem like it's doing what you think it's going to be doing until you finally realize like you <laughs> for two life you're just making your delve cards cheaper. For, you're you're just doing nothing. I mean, it, I don't know. It's it, it it does it does make sense as a card that needed to be banned, but it's really banned uh, I think as a card that's supposed to affect decks, but not kill any decks, right?
0: Certainly. So we talked about it before, where we thought become immense was really the problem child. More often than not, you see probe and in infect in death shadow zoo. Um, there are some other decks that will usually play at storm. We had already taken a hatchet at storm and cut it down limb by limb. But moreover, what cataxia probe was sealing was these creature combo strategies. Uh, your infect decks, your death shadow aggro decks, uh, the kiln fiend decks. These were the decks that this is this sort of neutering is really aimed at. These turn three combo strategies that were taking a peek, using the full information in your hand, figuring out okay, what do I need to do to just kill you on the next turn? These decks would certainly fire off their Gataxian Probes on turn one, but even when they drew them on turn four, it was still fueling become immense, and that was the card that we had talked about, you know, a couple months ago. What will we ban in Modern? And I think this is actually a much more intelligent ban by taking the sort of axe at Gataxian Probe. We're fighting all the unfair nature of taking out the you know, hidden information game of magic. We're leaving the powerful thing that can still kill you on turn two, turn three. But now people are going to have to gamble and go for it much more often. And I'm happy to see Gitaxian Probe go. It was not a great card when I was considering putting it in control decks.
1: I mean, anybody who's ever played with Gitaxian Probe has had the moment where they're just like, would it be smarter for me to just play one less land, replace a few cards, and play four attacking Probes. Like, would that be smarter? Because why not? Like, the chances of drawing more than one of these in a game are, you know, reasonable. Drawing three is low, and so it's going to cost me a little bit of life. Unless I'm an aggressive deck that's going to lose a lot of life, why not? Like, it's just free information and a free card. And I think, as you mentioned, the uninteractive nature of the gameplay when, like, Probe is legal is is really uh, pretty cancerous to a format. Um... I do think there's a reason Wizards continues to print these kind of aggressive, pushing, fun cards like this because people like cards like this. People are really excited when they get to do something that feels unfair. That's why you see Treasure Cruise. That's why cards like this get printed. Um, But Modern, unfortunately, because it is non-rotating, you're going to just have this velocity thing where enough things get printed, redundancy happens. You know, you get a thing in the ice printed. You get Probe that comes along. Become Immense gets printed like... And the synergy just happens, and all of a sudden you have to answer it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I think become immense. I don't think become immense would have done anything other than probably kill Death Shadow. I mean, do you think Death Shadow's dead?
0: I think Death Shadow is going to lose a lot of its luster. I don't know if it's going completely out the door, but I think a lot of the people that are currently playing Death Shadow are either going to agree that Infect is now just a better version of death shadow or we'll see them switch to maybe even other aggressive strategies i think we'll see an uptick of burn again even though burn loses some you know good matchups where death shadow was a solid matchup Infect was a very good matchup i i think that burn now losing you know the dredge matchup i, I think it's going to pick up a lot of popularity again and i think we could see you know fields that are eight percent burn again at grand prix and i think that's really sweet
1: Honest to god, pro player standpoint, did you always think Infect was better than Death Shadow Zoo anyway?
0: I personally did. I thought Infect was better than Death Shadow Zoo. I have teammates that would disagree and I have not played enough with both decks and I'm not an expert with either of the decks to say that, you know, one is objectively better than the other against the field, but truth be told, I've seen more players win tournaments with Infect than I have with Death Shadow and I think Infect has stood the test of time that Infect is a fantastic death. Death Shadow is a good deck. I don't know if it's, you know, top tier proven over the course of years and, you know, millions of matches that it is the deck that Infect is.
1: Fair enough. Uh, before we continue to move into a little bit of news and then the combo portion of this, three cards were banned out of standard. Now I peripherally pay attention to standard, though I don't play it. You play a good amount of standard. Um, and those three cards were Emrakul the Promised End. Uh, Reflector Mage and Smuggler's Copter. The reasons being behind each one that the inevitability of getting an Emrakul off of usually an Etherworks Marvel was not something that they liked. That players were just digging for it was such a haymaker feeling that it wasn't. I think they felt at the Pro Tour that it was going to affect the deck composition too much. Smuggler's Copter put eight copies, or sorry, put 32 copies into top eights, which is and in multiple strategies, it's just a really busted card. And Reflector Mage was, I think, promoting unfun games of magic that felt very swingy, where even uh, creatures that had really strong enter-the-battlefield effects were still getting bounced effectively with Reflector Mages, and then those players were losing games. And if that's the case, it wasn't so much that the card was too powerful. I think the question was that or Spell Queller, which is the one that we want to ban. But blue-white decks were just a little too much. So from what I understood, those were the reasonings behind those three cards Give me your water cooler quick take, you know, just a few comments on each one. We're not really a a standard cast, but um, what are your quick thoughts on each card?
0: So I think for Emrakul, it's, you know, good riddance. I played Aetherworks Marvel at the Pro Tour. I was, you know, one of the enemies of fun. I think at the end of the day that, you know, Battlecruiser Magic is fun when the Battlecruisers are interactive. And Emrakul is not one of the most interactive. Protection from Instance, 1313 Flying Trample. They take your turn. You have to sit there miserably and move all of your cards for them as your opponent tries to figure out, you know, over the course of multiple minutes, what's so the worst possible play they can make. I, I, I can't believe that card was – I thought it was terrible when it was printed. I honestly did. I thought it was bad. I'll admit it. I'm an idiot. I thought the card was horrible. I didn't understand how powerful a Mindslaver was. Guess what? When you staple a 13-13 to a Mindslaver, it's really great. This just in. <laughs> So, you know, good riddance, emrakul has gone. Hopefully, that, you know, the Gear Hulks are now the shining all stars they're meant to be. You know, Angel of Invention takes over as, the, like, you know, the cool, flashy top end and standard. That's what I hope comes of that. I think Smuggler's Copter is too efficient. I don't think that you could realistically play a deck that was looking to play to the board, play honest creatures, and could compete with the power level of Smuggler's Copter. Sure, they're printing Heart of Curan here that we'll get, you know, next week, this weekend at the pre release in just mere hours and days. I don't know if that could stand up to the power level of Smuggler's Copter to the sheer efficiency that that card is. And, I mean, like you said, they are putting up 32 copies in the top eights of Star City games opened. I mean, we were worried on whether or not that card would still just dominate the Pro Tour. And the card's very powerful. It stood the test of time. Sure, it was only really in a few decks at the very end, but that was because the rest of the decks all played Emrakul. So I think it's another card that, like Emrakul, I'm glad to see it go reflector mage i think is actually more of a future site ban like we're looking forward wizards did not play the future future league with reflector mage um they honestly were playing on an 18th month uh you know rotation at the time and now they re-extended it 24 months i don't think they knew what the landscape was going to look like with reflector mage and in the current world people were casting reflector mages to bounce their opponents ember that was literally the world we lived in where they're like yeah you can time walk me one more time go ahead and take another mind slaver turn and that was powerful enough. You could play a 2 3, let your opponent mindslaver you again, and it was good enough. We've got Felidar Guardian. We've got Sahili Rai. I don't really want to have my board Reflector Mage turn after turn after turn for another six more months. I thought it was too much when Collected Company was around, and I certainly didn't want to find out if it's going to be too much with Felidar Guardian, Sahili Rai as the sort of Jess Guy combo deck.
1: Let's not, talk, let's not forget about the fact that, in fact, Felidar Guardian with Reflector Mage, is busted. I mean, that's really good. That's like totally unfair and not fun at all. And you talk about if you already have a fourth turn combo that's going to exist in standard, say again?
0: Think about it with Panharmonicon too. That was already a deck that existed, the blue-white Panharmonicon sort of Eldrazi deck with knots here. slots right in and our Guardian. Flicker both of my Reflector Mages. They both trigger twice. I now have four Reflector Mages triggers. Bounce your entire team. You can't play any of those creatures next turn. I mean... Who wants to play against that? I mean, that that's modern power level we're talking about right there. Unsummon your entire team. You can't cast any of them
1: next turn. So, that being said, I think that's kind of where we stand with Standard at the moment. Um, we won't go too much further into that. Um, I guess the future of Standard looks bright in some ways. I think that it's a really, really cool block we're in the midst of. So, I look forward to hearing the results, I, I guess, I'm just calling the shot, and I've been calling it for a while, that I think we are going to see Copter show up in Modern. I think that's going to be a thing that starts happening more and more. Maybe people are unwilling to admit it right now, but, I mean, the interaction just alone between Architect and Copter, I was, <laughs> I mean, I know I talk about Grand Architect a lot on this podcast, but I think it's really good. What do you think about that combo?
0: I mean, you don't have to sell me. I'm putting Grand Architect in a Modern deck. I already love the ability to just, you know, lord up all my blue creatures, plus one, plus one to a Copter, four, four flying that loots. I mean, a 3-3 flying that loots is already great, and I'm surprised Affinity doesn't sideboard any number of copies for certain matchups where you need a flying blocker. Guess what? It loots when it blocks, too. People forget about that. I, I mean, I think, I think Smuggler's is right on the cusp, and I think people aren't giving it enough credit.
1: I wonder if the banning is going to push it over the edge for people. So, anyway, uh, that's the that's that's the most relevant Magic news. Aside from that, we had the Super Series go on this last weekend. We had GP Louisville. Um, there was a little bit of uh, outcry as far as the coverage concerns that happened. Uh, if you want to talk to us a little bit about that,
0: yeah. So Super Sunday Series Championships one on this is the very last one. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, there was great coverage of that event. There was a bit of modern play there. I mean, we saw some play from. Um, Merfolk from Malira Combo, Burn made an uptick again. I mean, the, the players really tried to metagame each other, and I thought it was really fun to watch and realize, hey, there's not just, you know, five decks or whatever in Modern. There's 30, 50, 70, hundreds of decks that you can play that are all, you know, reasonably viable to a different degree, and I think the Sunday series helped show that off. But at the end of the day, people were a little unhappy they didn't get to watch Reduke Duke hoist another trophy in Legacy. Um, Wizards, you know, cut back on certain events, and people outcried last year when they didn't watch the Sunday series, and well, this year there happened to be a Grand Prix in the same weekend of the Sunday series, and we didn't get to watch Reed Duke, you know, the people's choice for a greatest pro player, you know, honest, great human being, Reed Duke, win another Grand
1: Prix. What makes Reed Duke so good? I mean, I, I've watched a lot of Reed Duke magic, I've never gotten to play against Reed myself, but He's incredibly meticulous from what I've seen. He's very calculated. He seems to think turns and turns ahead. In your opinion, I'm assuming you've played with and against, what makes Reed so good?
0: He understands the game on a really deep level. I think very similarly because he works with Owen Turnwald and Huey Jensen. Um, I mean, the three of those guys are just the best of friends. They think about the game nonstop. He knows all of the cards in your hand before you've even picked them up. He knows what you're thinking turns and turns ahead based on the plays you made on turn one how you tapped your mana on turn three reed is one of those players that notices everything and doesn't give up an inch if he drew the best possible card in his deck he's still stone-faced if he's got four lands in his hand and he's seven lands in play on no other cards and you attack him for lethal damage you have no idea if your entire team's about to die reed doesn't give an inch he's a fantastic player great human being as i said before and you know, I, I love getting in the octagon with them and fighting it out every single time.
1: Who's the best player in the world right now, not named Corey Burkhart?
0: Owen Turtenwald. I think Owen Turtenwald is still the number one. I think that we need to get rid of that conversation again. I, I think there's a pretty clear delineation, though, between probably about the top two, three, maybe four players, and then about the next 10 to 20. And I think I'm still another tier below that, personally.
1: So... There's so much variance in Magic, um, but you still see a lot of the top names show up consistently over and over again. And some of that's like you get your buys and you get – but, I mean, really it is just the the amount of play that gets put in. Um, On the whole, just quickly before we move into Combo and Modern, what do you think makes a guy like Owen, a guy like Reed, Huey, even yourself – what makes like what's the difference what is it something mental is there a pattern that you see in the players that you hang out with and play against i think a lot of it's preparation i think a lot of
0: players overlook how much work that owen reed put into magic sure you can be testing with your local buddies once or twice a week sure you may be playing against the you know the greatest players at your local store and you're fighting with you know top 10 players in your region but at the end of the day, these guys are fighting the other, you know, best 5, 10 players in the world, and they're doing it 6, 8, 10 hours a day, and that's not even when they're preparing for Pro Tours. I mean, when they're preparing for Pro Tours, it's 18-hour days, and when they go out and get food or they're making food, they're still talking about ducks. They're still talking about draft picks. I mean, these guys live and breathe Magic the Gathering. They're they're fearless. They never, they never give an edge.
1: So in a lot of careers, anything you invest that much time and preparation into, let's say it's... You know, the simplest example is, like, if you're an NBA player and you are great and you play against the other best players and you win championships, whatever, you can be a coach, you can be an analyst. Like, uh, there are... You could probably coach other sports because the level of preparation and that kind of work ethic is something that translates. As a magic pro, somebody who puts in that kind of work, what other skill sets do you think you're developing and you see other players develop that would maybe translate to other jobs later in life? I mean, not to say that, like people won't be magic pros forever because I'm sure some guys will. But like as a host, I constantly sort of am thinking like this experience, these relationships, this kind of people skill or being on camera. There's a lot of jobs that, you know, if I ever decided that I was done hosting, I could end up as a sales rep, as a brand ambassador or something. I mean, there's tons of stuff. I I sort of wonder with that, with game theory, with magic stuff, do you see like a pathway, anything like that other than just game design?
0: Sure. So, I mean, game design is sort of the one that people use as the cop-out answer. I mean, I personally think that project management is a good one. Um, I mean, we're not talking just project management in the game design industry, but, you know, managing people in general, when you have to deal with a bunch of different personalities, and Magic players are pretty strong-minded, very opinionated group of people. When you can get them to collectively come together, make decisions, focus on one simple goal and get it done, to show that ability of organization, that ability of uh, passion, that drive, you really sort of show those skills off. And at the end of the day, I mean, that—that that is what a project manager is supposed to do is bring all these people together, these different ideas and focus on, okay, how do we hit the deadlines that we need to hit? And I mean, at the end of the day, our deadline is approachable. We have to show up with whatever we think is the best possible product.
1: Interesting. All right, guys, we are going to move into the heart of the episode or at least the second half of the episode. And that is discussing the face of combo in modern. So for the longest time, combo and modern was represented by one deck and that was splinter twin now splinter twin took a lot of different faces we had original twin which was some number of copies of kiki we had the evolution of that which which cut say that one more time
0: there was a version that was also playing uh, birthing pod for a while where you'd play like a single copy of deceiver exarch with kiki Jiki. there were also sometimes just four splinter twins thrown into that deck randomly
1: Right. So uh, I remember with, like talking to Andrew Brown and that group of guys when they were testing back when it was legal and they would be like, oh, you know, you have your your <laughs> you have your like is it deck or your Grixis deck. And then there's these eight Pokemon cards you throw in that, you know, if you just draw them, you just win. Um, that's like what they always used to say. And and uh, th- but that deck, just that combination of uh, one of those creatures, whether it was Pesternite or Deceiver Exarch with Splinter Twins, sometimes Kiki Jiki would be thrown into all kinds of shells. And I remember you had Teamer Twin that showed up before Teamer was even a thing. It was just, it was just uh, Rug Twin, I guess is what Rugged they call it.
0: over deck, essentially, is how it started out. And then people were like, oh, we can just put the Splinter Twin cards in this deck. Yeah, right. So instead of having to grind them out with 3-2 flyings for one that sometimes don't flip, why don't we just put a 1-4 in an Enchantmenter deck that, yeah, when I draw them together, you're dead.
1: So, Jess, guy, Twin, thing you know, you had Kiki Angel, whatever. So, that's kind of what combo was in Modern for the longest time. I mean, if you were ever going to be like, I want to play something unfair that interacts a little bit, you just played Splinter Twin. Now, when that was banned, you had a few different things happen. But uh, the most relevant thing going on right now on the subject of combo is that they are about to introduce the card Felidar Guardian. Now, Felidar Guardian, for those that are uh, not aware, is a four drop. It's one white. And three colorless, I believe, for one four. One four, yep. One four. St- standard Splinter Twin card. Uh, great for modern. And when it enters the battlefield, you get to flicker a cr- a card, just a permanent. Just a permanent. So I mean, we're talking even lands. Right, right, right. Because if you, yeah, you're, if you have six, you can play it, flicker a land, then play, yeah, on six mana, you can play it, flicker a land, and then place a Healy, and you just go off on six. So uh, that. Obviously combos with Sahili Rai, which is the blue, red, colorless Planeswalker that comes down on three loyalty, who I've said forever has the unique ability that is incredibly overlooked and powerful, which is minus two. You get to make a copy of something that then becomes an artifact in addition to this other type, and basically it's it's simple. You make a copy of the Felidar, which then flickers to Sahili, it comes back in with three loyalty, and you just go infinite, and you have Splinter Twin. so...
0: Also happens to have haste. Does it sound familiar to any other maybe five mana legendary goblin we've been playing with for years? Uh, Kiki Jiki being the one we're talking about. In case you haven't figured it out, I mean that that's the Kiki Jiki ability. Except for we're making it an artifact, and guess what? Instead of just hitting creatures, this this hits. I mean, Veludar Guardian can hit a Plainswalker, and then our Plainswalker can go copy that artifact or creature again.
1: So. As you can understand from this conversation, there is a real new combo being introduced, not only to Modern, but to Standard of all places. This is going to be a thing, after an emergency ban, this is going to be something that's actually in Standard. So we're not here to talk about Standard. We're here to talk about Modern. Um, this is a real thing you can be doing in Modern. Now, the fact that it's blue, white, red, that it doesn't immediately play black in its main deck, if unless you want it to be a four-color deck, means you're either going to have to, like, turn two spell skite if you want to curve without this disru- or you have to play black so you can disrupt their hand um, probe is gone so you probably are looking at having to play black if you want to just consistently be able to draw an opening hand that can just go off because it is sorcery speed what are your initial shot thoughts on this
0: for modern i'm not as terrified as i am for standard but for modern i mean there's still stuff going on here we have disrupting shawl we have packed mitigation i mean there are still free spells in blue that really allow you to use this effectively um I mean you have Apostles Blessing, which is one mana. If you really wanted to branch out of green for some reason, you have, you know, Vines of Vastwood and blossoming defenses that are options. I think we're much more likely to see people stay in the Apostles Blessing sort of vein of things. But I mean if the answers become, Hey, I'm worried about, you know, red removal for some reason or blue bounce effects, which I think is fairly unlikely. I think we're mostly looking at black and white removal. I, I think Apostles Blessing is gonna be protecting this combo fairly effectively.
1: So that's uh, that's sort of the, I mean, I don't want to call it the big bad in modern. I think people are freaking out in the same way. They're freaking out in standard. But it comes to mind, what what are the best things you can be doing right now in modern? And what are the fringe things you could be doing in modern that are sort of two-card or two-piece I-win combos? Um, we have a couple listed here. So we'll start with Kikijiki and the remaining cards. Uh, now, Kikijiki works with Felidar Guardian. Yep. Kikijiki works with Deceiver Exarch. Kikajiki works with Pestermite, Zealous Conscripts, Conscripts. Restoration Angel, Angel, Village Bellringer. I think that's all of them, right?
0: Uh, It's all of them that I can name on the top of my head. I'm certain there are other ones that maybe cost more mana that we're not thinking about, but I mean, these are the effective ones that your opponent untaps with four lands, and you're just praying that they don't have triple red and five lands in play, and you're just, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, please don't kill me.
1: So I think for the from the point of view of like just versatility, that's one of the first places people go. As far, but you don't really see it show up in the same way. I guess people thought maybe you would when they banned Twin. People thought maybe they would just sculpt their decks to play Kiki. There's something about the triple red and a five mana creature that just makes it a little bit less, I don't know, desirable to play. So I think with
0: the banning of Splinter Twin, you saw the format speed up a fair amount. Decks were willing to get. A bit more glass cannony, there was less control decks running around, there was less of this counter magic of I'm going to trade mana for your mana. And because of that, we saw the format move to a bunch more Infect, a bunch more Death Shadow Zoo, a bunch more Kill and Fiend Agra, where people are willing to, you know, put all their chips in the middle of the table and let them fall where they may. And. Because people were unwilling to say, okay, I'm going to wait one more turn to kill you with Kiki Jiki in the matchups where, you know, you really needed to kill people on turn four. I mean, we're, we're talking somewhat your Tron decks, your Scape Shift decks. Um, that's why we really haven't seen much of the Kiki Jiki plus the untapping Flickering creatures. Maybe that'll change here with Sahelian and Felidar Guardian. I mean, we're, we're looking at turn four again being a pretty realistic kill combo.
1: So let me ask then, just going back to Sahelian and Felidar Guardian for a second, I mean, The ability to interact on turns one through three with an instant speed piece of remand, a lightning bolt, something end of turn, whatever you were going to do, obviously that's very powerful. And that's different than what you're doing here with Sahili having to tap out on turn three and then tap out again on turn four. But the reality is you still have turn one and two you can interact with. You can still play remand on turn two. Um, I guess the fact that you... Don't just pass with open mana on turn three is different, but really how different is it? Because I, for me, I always would say like when we did our top five, our top ten red cards in Modern, I would always be like, Splinterman's not a top ten red card. It's a card that is part of a combo, but it's a bad card. It's a four mana sorcery speed aura. That's a horrible card. Any good player knows that you don't play a four mana aura in a competitive format unless it wins the game instantly. So, I would always say it's like, that's a bad card. It just happens to interact favorably with cards that exist so you can win. I would say that Sahili that and Felidar Guardian are far superior cards to Splinter Twin, just in a vacuum,
0: right? Both of the cards literally have text that does things. I mean, Splinter Twin needs you to have a card on the battlefield to even do anything whatsoever. It has to be a non-legendary creature. I mean, we're asking for you for you know, more than nothing. Sure, you can put Splinter Twin on your Kiki Jiki. I don't advise it. You're going to have to choose one of those things to die when the Kiki Jiki clone comes out. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly would never put Splinter Twin in the top 10 red cards. It plays much more, you know, a blue or a green card or something that's willing to, you know, stretch the dial on what it's actually doing. And I think that you know, Felidar, Guardian, plus Restoration Angels, another backup combo you can play with. I mean, we can cause infinite flickers, and all we need is something leaving the battlefield or entering the battlefield. Some sort of, you know, third piece there. Um, maybe we're looking at a Soul Warden to gain infinite life. I mean, that's a, that's a card that's in white. We can get that effect somewhere. We can put Ultra of Brood in our deck. I believe that's is that when a card goes to the graveyard, though.
1: Uh no, altar of brute is when a card a permanent enters the battlefield under your control it mills one of their cards. There
0: we go. We can deck our opponent on turn four, or I guess it would have to be turn five, unless we had some sort of piece of fast mana, as about the guardian and the restoration angel, it costs four. But I mean, there are multiple combos you can fit into the same deck. These sort of things that people are talking about for standard, I mean, there's many, many, many more possibilities in modern.
1: Do you think that 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 whole like silly liquid metal coating deck that we had talked about maybe has more legs now that you have a viable piece that's just a better combo in the same deck using one of the same cards or perhaps the Sun Titan double Sahili deck where you just win the game if you have a Sahelian graveyard, Sahili on the battlefield and you cast Sun Titan?
0: I still think it's too much if you're going to be trying to do three or four combos. I think you can try to fit two in there as long as the cards for the secondary combo are still powerful. So this Restoration Angel thing that we're talking about is a powerful card. Like Restoration Angel is not embarrassing to put in your deck. I mean, that card kills people. I've died plenty of times to a Restoration Angel attacking me five or six times, and it feels miserable, but it certainly happens. We're a three-power flyer that saves one of their permanents from removal, teams up with another creature, and you just die. Sure, if we're going to put Altar of Brood or Soul Warden or something of that nature as our backup combo, I think we're going to start losing some of the the power there, but I think something in the Liquid Metal Coating, the Sun Titan vein. I don't know if we're looking at something Tier 1, but we're certainly, you know, we're... We're stretching the sort of paradigm here to try to find what is the most broken thing we can do because Sahili right at the end of the day, as we've been saying for four months now, yeah. that minus two ability is exceptionally powerful. Yeah. That's really dangerous to print. There's something broken there.
1: I have been saying that forever, and I still am sort of shocked that it's taken as long as it has for people to actually get on board with that i just i don't know i'm shocking so uh moving down the list though kiki plus card is one scapeshift plus seven lands i mean scapeshift plus seven lands is a one card combo you're gonna play you're gonna play a land every turn in that deck and you're gonna accelerate probably twice so realistically scapeshift plus seven lands is probably a turn five thing more than it's a turn seven thing
0: Turn five in your mediocre draws. I mean, these decks are playing search for tomorrow's, Tribal, or Exploration, Far Seek. If you want to go off on turn four, this deck can do it. You can realistically have six lands in play when you untap on turn four. And
1: You mean uh, explore. You said exploration, right?
0: Yes, I meant to explore. I'm sorry. I- exploration would be real nice in modern. Yeah. Holy <laughs> moly. Yeah, let's not put that one legal. Let- let's keep that in Legacy, where people are life from the loving back. It's on a ton of lands. Yeah. Right? So yeah, pardon me on that, guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, realistically, you do need eight lands, but people deal enough damage to themselves that Valakut and Six Mountains is going to get the job done. And Scapeshift Shift is really, you know, your one-card combo. It's just much more of a setup cost than what we're talking here with, you know, Sahelian and Thaldor Guardian or Kiki and whichever one of your untap or flicker effects you want to use that week.
1: We've said for a while now one of the most powerful things about Scape Shift, uh, I mean, we've said, and everyone who's ever played it has said, the fact that you don't have to sack the lands is part of the spell, it's part of the resolution, is the, probably its most powerful effect. Um, we've also talked about the possibility of using Scape Shift in like a Tron deck, if that's interesting. But uh, more, more than that, I mean, Scape Shift is just one of the single most powerful combo things you can be doing in Modern. So continuing to move down the list... Uh, We have ad nauseum plus either Angels Grace or Phyrexian Unlife. I'm sort of trying to get a read. By the way, as we go through these, are they better or worse than what we think Sahili Ray, Felidar Guardian are going to be? I mean, that's the real question. Is like, is the because Scape Shift's a tier 1.5 deck right now? I would say it's really powerful. It's not tier two. It I don't think it's Tier 1. It's a little slow against all of the like Death Shadow and things that are running around, though. Those things are slower now. Um, I would say Ad Nauseam is probably Tier 2. I think it's a step below, and I think some of the other decks we're going to reference here are also low. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, is it possible if the Sahili Felidar Guardian deck is going to surprise people and be a Tier 1 or Tier 1.5 deck right out the gate? So how good is Ad Nauseam, Angel's Grace compared to it? How good is Kiki or Scape Shift?
0: So I think the Scape Shift game plan is so solid, more so because of all the cards you put in Scape Shift. Sure, they're embarrassing when all you do are draw lands in those ramp cards, but at the end of the day, the, the one card you need from Scape Shift, you get about 15 to 20 looks at over the course of the game through you know, egg, you know removing lands from your deck, putting them onto the battlefield, your draw steps, your opening hand um sometimes the deck will play remand and cryptic command to draw extra cards that deck can see a bunch more cards i think that's probably the highest one we're going to see up on this list but when you get further down like we're starting to talk here about ad nauseum i don't know if the sea Healy Felidar combo is behind that or not i mean sure we're talking about playing a three loyalty planeswalker that ticks up to four on turn three tell me how many decks in the format are running around where they're going to kill a you know, four loyalty points walker on turn three. Lightning Bolt's not killing that. Sure, you can't combo on the very next turn, except for when you fell at our Guardian, your Sahili, and then just go off anyways.
1: You guys laugh when I mention Spellskite. How good is Spellskite on turn two into turn three Sahili when they now have to answer the fact that you can redirect the removal and can't attack because you have a zero four? That's pretty good. I mean, I, I don't know that that seems that crazy to me. You remember when
0: Wild Nacatl was banned? We thought three power from one mana was too scary. It's not getting through a spell sky. I mean spellskite has been the real deal for creature combo decks. It was seeing play back when Twin was the real deal, and I mean it certainly wants to sit alongside a planeswalker and block for it. It certainly wants to, you know, hang out with a felodar guardian, and protect its little goaty cat friend or whatever creature type our Felodar Guardian is. I hope it's a cat. Um yeah, I mean, Spellskite stock just shot through the roof if this is a real thing. And it certainly looks like to me this is, you know, tier 1, tier 2, or tier 1.5, tier 2 sort of strategy we're looking at here.
1: Okay, so Ad nauseum plus Angel's Grace refracting on Life is, uh, I feel like that pops up on the 1.5 radar here and there. But I think usually it lives pretty firmly on the tier 2 or below
0: against it at grand prix i've played against it from multiple pilots of you know varying range of skills i play against it on magic online all the time i think it's a deck that people don't give enough credit i think if there was more control in the metagame i think this deck would just be unreal levels of fantastic but because things like infect were running around as the most popular and probably as the best deck this deck lost you know massive percentages of what it could hold of the field but this is one of the best combo decks it is exceptionally resilient and people do not Give it the credit it deserves.
1: Let's continue moving down the list here. The next one we have written down is Hive Mind plus any pact. So this really was prominent during the time that Amulet and Summerbloom were together. This was like when you would see those degenerate turn zero or like half turn wins, uh, that you know, this was what they were doing. They would they would power this out on turn one or two, usually, and uh, resolve pact with the hive mind in play off of the Summerbloom draw, and then play a pack and you don't have the mana to pay for it you lose the game so without that deck being as prominent now that azusa is the way you do it and it's that's nowhere near as good i don't i mean that's not even barely tier two i feel like i never see people play it
0: Where are Matt Matt will try anything madness will will throw that together play it in a mox he'll i think he may have played it as a grand prix too like that, that kid's crazy but I mean, this is a deck that's pretty far down the line now because it has to rely on Azusa rather than Summerbloom. It's very easy with Summerbloom to get to six mana on turn two, turn one even through a Simeon Spirit Guide sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I mean, I think this is fairly far down the list. It started playing creatures that allow you to put extra lands into play on in the battlefield um, for just a green I believe they cost. But yeah, this is a deck that, sure, Hive Mind itself is an exceptionally powerful card. The packs are all... You know pretty terrifying they're all free spells again at the end of the day we talk about you know cost reduction mechanics being some of the most powerful things they've ever printed in magic but i, I think we're looking at something because you have to get six mana enchantment in play and still need another piece i mean we're not
1: talking scapeshift levels so hive mind impact is still on the radar is something you can build to try to do I, oh you know what another one we didn't write down here and i wonder if it's yeah it's probably right between the two i'll say but we, we can mention it in just a second but uh, let's move on to the next one that we have written down and that is um, that is the malira combo and so this one is right on the fringe of being a an actual combo deck this is malira or anafenza with uh, the combination of a sack outlet usually viscera seer and then either kitchen finks or murderous red cap red Cap's the actual onboard board win Whereas Sphinx is the gay and infinite life, but the reason this has been so good for as long as it's been good is that it's usually part of a I can go wide with Township or just generally good creatures in a rock shell and win the game. I don't actually need to draw this, and uh, I mean Anna is perfectly good. Um, so, so uh, I guess the question here is, do you think that do you think that the Malira combo? In some way shape or form in in a version now that's playing collected company and probably like court of calling is the best thing on this entire list is it is it better than anything here how much better is it than Sahili feldar guardian
0: i i think the you know backup strategy of killing you with very solid mid-range creatures is better than probably the saheeli feldar combos backup strategy of attacking with maybe a restoration angel or a young pyromancer or whatever might be in that vein is but in terms of, you know, sheer combo, sheer power level of, you know, the fear that you put into me by having three lands on the battlefield, I'm not that scared. I'm much more scared when you put a collected company on the stack and I go, all right, well, I have to hope they don't find a Kitchen Finks, of Viscera, a Seer, and then have an Anaphins, a Kintree spirit in their hand. I mean, at the end of the day, I can still break it up with almost any piece of removal that's, you know, modern power level structure, but at the end of the day, I I think its backup plan is better than its main plan at comboing, you I think this is much more of, you know, your grindy mid-range deck.
1: This one, yeah, ends up almost feeling in the category we mentioned velocity. It's like sort of half velocity, half combo, right? Because the inevitability makes it you don't play this deck thinking, I'm just going to draw Viserys here on turn 1, and then play Malaira on turn 2, and then play Finks on turn 3, and you won't disrupt me, and I'll win the game. I mean, for the pilots that have played Abzan Combo, I wonder how many games that actually happens.
0: 1 in 15, 1 in 20. I mean, it was much easier when Birthing Pod was running around to do this. Birthing Pod allowed you to just have these very consistent, nearly every game starts thanks to Birds of Paradise, Noble Hierarch, Scalera needed to turn 2 Pod. And then you started turning those creatures into whatever your combo may be. Sure, it might be Kiki-Jiki with some sort of untapped piece. It might have been, you know, your Malira slash Anafenza combo. I guess Anfensa wasn't out when Birthing Pod was, but it's something in that vein that cared about the, the counters. Once we're at this day and age where we're worrying about Township and now we have Anafenza and Melyra running around and it's more about collective company and Court of Calling, it's much less consistent about combo killing you. If you're fighting this on the other side of the table, you know, be aware of it. This is a real thing that happens in a fair amount of games, but it's not, you know, turn one viscerous here, turn two other combo piece, turn three kitchen things, cut them, you know, the collected company that's hiding the murderous red cap to the top of my deck and gain <laughs> infinite life, pass the turn back to you and then kill you on the next turn. That, that's, that's not what this deck is about.
1: Which is why it's harder to put it directly in the things you can be doing to win instantly in modern uh, field, even though... I mean, realistically, we just talked about a three-card combo. The only reason it's even really in this conversation is because the backup plan really elevates it to the best three-card combo there is in Modern. Now, next on the list, we have Gorio's Vengeance plus Gristlebrand. And there's a couple of different uh, or Yeah, Gristlebrand and Goryeo's Vengeance decks. I mean, the original one we've talked about on here a few times showed up like four years ago or something, and it was like this Fury of the Horde deck, and it kind of came out of nowhere. It was earlier days of Modern... A lot of the same cards are still played, but the one that people play now is the Nourishing Shoal, Gorio's Vengeance, Gristlebrand deck. And there, I guess the reason we say that it's just Gorio's Vengeance and Gristlebrand as the combo is because really that's all you need to do to win the game. The deck is set up so that if you draw seven off Gristlebrand, you should be able to just win off seven. If not, you draw 14 and then you just will be able to win.
0: I mean, odds are in your favor. You're sort of, you know, spinning the roulette wheel or pulling the lever on a slot machine on whether or not you're going to get there because every card in your deck's randomized, but it's not that difficult to find a couple Simeon spirit guides, get a Goryeo's Vengeance out, get an Emrakul, and guess what? 15 plus 7. Last I checked, that's still more than the 20 life points I start with every game of Magic. And when you combo it with Nourishing Soul and a 15 mana card, you can draw a lot more cards thanks to Nourishing Soul. So, I mean... I'm rather surprised we're still sitting here and talking about Simeon Spirit Guide still allowing turn one kills like this, but here we are. Simeon Spirit Guide's still legal. Goryeo's Vengeance of Crystal Brand's still on the fringes, but I mean, this deck can kill you on turn one. I've literally played a PPTQ where in the last round, in game three, I didn't get a turn. I did not play a turn.
1: Can I ask you, uh, so for this deck to win, actually on turn one on the play, you need, what, like double Spirit Guide, Graven Cairns, uh, Gristle brand and, like, looting? Is that is that what you're thinking? And Vengeance? So the hand my opponent
0: ended up playing was Exile, Simeon, Spirit Guide to loot. They discarded a Gristle brand and some other card I don't recall. They then... Played a land, exiled another Simian Spirit Guide, Ritualed, Mana Morphosed, got a Gorio's Vengeance to get back to Gristlebrand, drew 14 cards, Nourishing Should, Nourishing Should, drew almost the rest of their deck, exiled another Simeon Spirit Guide, Ritualed, Ritualed, Ritualed. So all of their mana was basically out of their deck except for I think one Simeon Spirit Guide at this point. And then looting, discard a on the stack, Mana Morphosed for block, Gorio's. And I literally did not have a turn with Double Swan Song in my hand playing Simeon Spirit Guide Storm. And at the end of the day, I got to walk out of that PPU going, I was playing Storm and I was the good guy at the table.
1: So yeah, I think this is there's a couple of decks that are still kind of out there floating where you're like given the right means. This definitely feels more unfair than Kataxian probe. This definitely feels more unfair. I guess Grave Troll is more in line with what we're talking about, but Probe, Probe feels more fair than Spirit Guide in a lot of ways to me. Absolutely. I mean,
0: I would argue that bulls way more unfair than Gataxian Probe at the end of the day. But I think the deck building costs that Moxelple puts on you is something that, hey, well, we'll allow it to stick around until we think it's out of line, is what the DCI is telling us. Gataxian Probe was getting out of line because all of the other things it managed to do, and There was a zero deck building cost. We saw Dredge decks starting to play it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you could put Gitaction Probe into 50% of the decks in the field, it might have been correct.
1: I think the fact that Opal has the restriction involved that, A, you have to build one kind of deck, and B, that it's legendary. I think those are the two things. I've I've always felt that, like, the the A of that is, like, the sort of... You could make that argument for anything powerful. Legendary, as much as people kind of are able to skip it, because in 60, how often you draw two in the opening anyway... But it is powerful enough, where it's like, if you were only ever guaranteed to have one Spirit Guide in your opening hand, that was the best you could ever do, then I don't think Spirit Guide would be quite as bad of an offender. I think it's good. I think it's the hands where you have two, or you, say, start with one, and then you can draw your deck, and you're going to draw two or three others in the first turn. That's where that card is like in brand, where you're just like, well... He was had access in the end to five mana on turn one because he was able to draw his deck. Right. That's the problem.
0: Right. We're we're looking at things that Rite of Flame couldn't even accomplish. Like one cast of Rite of Flame, even with three in your graveyard, could only net you plus three mana. Yeah. Simeon Spirit got exiling four of them, net you plus four mana. Sure, it's a threshold density thing. Gristlebrand solves that for us by drawing us 49 extra cards over the course of the game. Sure, you don't get to see four cards in your deck. Guess what you do to get, get those four cards? Play four Manamorphos. So, I mean, I think this is a deck that, sure, you'll see it on the fringes. You won't see it very often. It's very fragile. I mean, this is a deck that just folds to a Surgical Extraction. It folds to an Extraprate. Probably folds to a Ravenous Trap. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, this this probably is still just the most raw, powerful thing you can be doing in Modern because of how good the discard enablers actually are.
1: Yeah, and the fact that it's the only one of the decks we just talked about that can actually <coughs> consistently win on turn one or two, given the right draws. Uh, none of, I don't think there's actually a turn one or two win with any of the other decks on this list anymore. Uh, I may- be able
0: Mind might be able to do it. I'd have to think of a combination of cards, but some number of Simeon Spirit Guides with an Amulet and a Bounce Land, and you get out of Zuzon turn one... So let's say we Simeon Spirit Guide out Amulet of Vigor, so that we can get our untapped bounce land. We then use another Simeon Spirit Guide and get out our Azusa. Our bounce land is in our hand. We have two more additional land plays. It only gets us to four mana, and we've already burned through five cards. Yeah, I don't. I don't realist- realistically think that deck can ever turn one or turn two somebody.
1: So yeah, I mean I think you're. Yeah, there's no. You can't add nauseum on turn two with any kind of like no. prophetic prism or like something like that.
0: Is there any way to like remove time counters on a card we haven't suspend? I think there's one card that does it, but I don't think it's like it's like a two one creature for two or something. Uh,
1: sorry, I, I meant pentad prism, not prophetic. But uh, you're talking about Jorah's time bug. It's a one two for two, and it taps to remove a time counter. Um, the time bender is the morph creature that does it. Uh, you have rift. Uh, Rift Elemental, like those are the cards that deal with suspend counters. But no, there's no way to cheat a uh, a Lotus Bloom into play unless you were reshaping like something like an egg style thing. So I think what we just talked about is that's that's pretty much it. So then if you go down to sort of the fringes, you have the pro, you have Protean Hulk, which I mean Protean Hulk. If you can go, if you can go full you know, nutso with your mana early is an instant win. Um, You win immediately that whole, like, I always try to like recite this when we talk about it with like body double and revel arc and all these things. It's like hard for me to actually remember correctly, but it basically goes to the graveyard. You assemble a bunch of things, body double enters the battlefield, copying it. So then you can like sack body double as a copy of protein Hook to go off a second time. I think is how it works.
0: I'll be honest. I've played against this deck exactly once. So I'm, Probably about as fishy on all the details as you are, but yeah, essentially you body double the Protean Hulk. You then search your library for two more creatures. At which point we get the Revel Ark, and we try to get the Revel Arc to leave the battlefield to get back all these other creatures. And essentially, you just put your entire library onto the battlefield. And I think there's some way to give them haste. I don't, I don't exactly remember how the deck actually kills. But essentially, what you're doing is just picking up your library, putting it into the graveyard, and then putting your graveyard onto the battlefield.
1: I mean, the original version of Protein Hulk was with the card Flash, and it was in Legacy, and Hulk Flash was a thing that got Flash banned from Legacy because Steve Saden, I think, played it at, like, a Legacy GP, like, ten years ago or something like that. Um, it was, like, the original thing. So you can do that in modern, not the card Flash, but Protein Hulk's a thing. Knight of the Reliquary plus Retreat to Coral Helm is another one that is, like, kind of a thing. They have to have not a blocker, so you have to just...
0: Well, no, no, no. You can get it through with uh, Sigiri Step, I believe, is the White Land from World Awake. I guess it's not a White Land, obviously. It taps for a white mana, but it gives a protection from a color. Uh, we can also use the extra triggers that we have of Retreat to Core Home to tap creatures, so you can just tap all of their blockers out of the way. Um, I think this falls similar into the vein of the Malira combo, where I think this deck might be overall more powerful than Malira right now. The combo only requires two pieces as opposed to three pieces, and. The problem here is one of your pieces is just truly a bad card. Like, Retreat to Quorum is not a powerful magic card, similar to how we were talking about Splinter Twin earlier. Splinter Twin is not a powerful magic card unless you're doing something truly out of line with it where we're making infinite creatures. This, we're untapping a card that allows us to tutor our library infinite times.
1: It just plays really well with my Reliquary, which has long been a fringe tier 1 card in many decks. It's great, it's just... Three mana creatures in Modern that don't do something when they enter the battlefield, just like Geist, are awesome. But they're just not quite good enough to be like the linchpin card unless they're doing something like a Retreat to Coral Helm.
0: The list of three mana creatures that I want to play in Modern is exceptionally high. And a lot of them fall out pretty quickly because the format dictates if on your opponent's turn three, even their turn four. If you've put one of these awesomely powerful creatures onto the battlefield... They can just untap and kill you. Yeah. So you're putting a, even a ten ten 10 out of the reliquary in some absurd world onto the battlefield. Guess what? 10, 10s don't work when you have zero life or you have 10 in fact, or you've been decked or hit by a 13 power ink moth nexus or whatever it may be. You sort of need some sort of impact when you cast it. And that's why, you know, some of these other things on the list are, you know, what we're talking about today are possibly more powerful because they have some sort of impact when they hit the battlefield the first time and they don't have summoning sickness or need this extra turn like a the St. Trafter or knight of the Reliquary might need.
1: Makes sense. Okay, so things that are left on this list. Um, I was trying to figure out like what are some of like the fringe cool things that people want to do and don't do. A couple things I wrote down, which you guys will laugh because these are things I talk about all the time. Mindcrank plus Dusk Mantle Guildmage is a thing where like Mindcrank's two mana and artifact I believe it's whenever an opponent takes damage place that many cards in their graveyard and it's it's a 2-2 Guildmage for blue-black where for blue-black colorless you can activate this ability that is uh, whenever an opponent has a card placed in their graveyard they lose that much life so the two abilities together go infinite. It's actually the same thing as Bloodchief Ascension with Mindcrank which was actually in standard. This is difficult to actually accomplish but it's a combo have you ever seen or played against this
0: no the best part was you had to explain this one to me i mean an hour before like probably as i was walking in the door you're like all right here are all these combos that i've assembled and lo and behold you had to explain what minecrank did to me as i mean that was a card that's been around since i started playing magic but i didn't put the two together instantaneously like if my opponent played one of these at a tournament i would certainly be picking up and reading it and God, I hope it's not in a feature match where thousands of people get to watch me pick up and ring and go, I wonder what the heck my opponent's doing. Probably not good for me if I don't know what this card does, though.
1: It's a weird combo. It's a two-card combo. That's the point. Um, it's fragile, and there's a creature involved and a do-nothing card involved. But it does curve out, uh, and you can just win on the fourth turn. So another one that we've talked about on here before that I always like is Grand Architect and Pili Pala. You do have to have a mana for this, but I've seen this be a thing in Collected Company decks because you can hit both creatures. Uh, but Pelepala is the 1-1 one, one flying construct for two mana and an untap symbol, add one of any color to your mana pool. So Architect can tap to untap Pelepala, which then will use its one blue mana to turn itself blue, which can now tap itself because it's an Architect creature and go infinite. So every time it untaps itself, adds one colorless. So with a sink, it wins the game. What I'm curious about is I think there are probably... I don't know, I'll bet you people are going to listen to this and they're going to think of five other two-card combos that are, like, bad but viable. Like, you could do them if you wanted. And that's what I'm curious about, is with the printing of Sahili and Felidar, how many two-card combos that aren't as good as Splinter Twin was in its prime exist that if you wanted to build a deck, you could? Especially now that Gataxian Probe's gone. And I, I don't know, I mean, what's just give me your sort of last moment thought on this. The future of combo and modern, what do you see?
0: I think I see it popping up slightly more than it used to. Uh we're gonna see people less adapt it, you know, just looking at your hand thanks to Cataxian Probe being gone. We're gonna see more decks become glass cannon, which is why I think it's gonna be slightly less. Uh Gitaxian Probe obviously removing that, we take away the ability for let's just, you know, spitball it at twenty percent of the field. Doesn't just get this free look at your hand whenever they feel like it. But they're just going to turn more glass cannony. If those decks still exist, and let's say those players don't shift to playing different decks, like these decks still exist in the metagame, as I think that most of them will. I think Death Shadow, Kiln Fiend,er you know, maybe a bit more dicey there. These decks are just going to become more glass cannony, which makes it harder on these combo decks. They need to be hyper streamlined, hyper efficient. They're going to need to be using you know, Ancient Story, Sleight of Hands, Serum Vision, Faithful Sluting, whatever their sort of library manipulation effects are. To the best of their ability. They have to be going off as quickly as humanly possible. That's not that's why we're not seeing, you know, five man and six mana cards combo killing your opponent, because I can, you know, I can go do that in a casual game if my opponent's gonna just leave me alone for a few turns. In modern, the format's really powerful. People are doing some unfair things. You don't get that kind of time, and that's why the list that we have here, I mean, these are the ones that you see showing up at tournaments, these are the ones that if someone pulled out, I wouldn't be too shocked.
1: So, I guess the final called shot here is that Spirit Guide's the next banning. Uh, it feels like with this printing, with this conversation, it doesn't feel like if the if the format shifts a little more towards combo. If the format shifts a little more towards combo because speed is slightly reduced by Kataxin Pro being gone, I think we can expect Spirit Guide to be banned within the next six months to a year. I th-
0: think given no deck just completely dominating in the next few tournaments and just really making the format a you know rather unfun experience. I think Simeon Spirit Guide is still the next card to go. I mean, we see the power of Lotus Petal all the time, of Elvish Spirit Guide in Legacy, or if you play Vintage, Vintage. Um, I mean, th- this is a card that I personally believe is over the line. Sure, you can make the argument that something like Eldrazi Temple exists. Why can't Simeon Spirit Guide? Simeon Spirit Guide can go in any deck. You just need to be willing to spend a card to do it. The decks that are looking to spend a card to do it, I mean, we're looking at Ad Nauseam, we're looking at Gristlebrand. They're just going to draw their entire deck, anyways. We're looking at Restore Balance, we're looking at Living End. These these decks don't want cards in their hand. They just want all of their cards in the graveyard or the exile zone or whatever zone it may be, and they're willing to trade any number of cards to get whatever their end game is. Maybe we don't have the tools to create that end game just yet. Maybe we just need one more super busted, awesome, powerful card to make Simeon Spirit Guide, you know, the menace that it really is. But I think Simeon Spirit Guide is the next card to go, given the state of things.
1: Interesting. Corey Burkhart, thank you for joining us tonight, today. On the MM Cast, uh, this was a good episode. I'm glad we got to cover this, guys. If we missed any combos that are amazing and you think are just like super important for us to talk about, uh, tweet them to the Twitter at the MM Cast. Uh, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. You can find my Action Movie Podcast, Action Movie Anatomy, every Wednesday, streaming live at 12:30 on the Popcorn Talk Network. Corey, where can the folks find you? Uh,
0: at Corey underscore Burkhart on Twitter, and if you want to follow me on Facebook, I'm Corey one. one. Um, like Ben said, feel free to tag us in as many different combos you can think of that we missed. I'm going to assume that we missed 10, 20, 30, maybe. I mean, there's a bunch of combos in Modern.
1: And, of course, guys, go to company if you want to find this podcast. And, of course... The Command Zone, our sister podcast, who do awesome commander content. They also have a YouTube channel, The Command Zone. Uh, they do great content. Kessler was just recently one of their videos. Um, they're the OGs, so uh, check their stuff out as well. Thanks for listening, and we will see you and talk to you guys next week about the, our full report on the bannings. Kessler and I will look at the whole format, the state of the format going forward. So, uh, all right, guys. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator.